Welcome to the Quilting Arts Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of contemporary art quilting. I'm Susan Brubaker Knapp, and I'm here with my co host, Vivica Hansen Denegri. Hey, Vivica. Hi, how are you? Great. It's so nice to see you. You know, I was just thinking we're at our 17th episode, Susan. We've done oh. 17 of these. And I was reminded by a listener who wrote in and said that we haven't necessarily introduced ourselves for quite some time. And I thought it might be a nice thing for us to actually start out the podcast and let maybe new listeners know who we are and what we yeah. do. So I'll start. I'm Vivica Denegri, and I have a connection to quilting arts. I'm the quilting arts editor of the magazine. And I began um, my journey and my connection with quilting arts about 10 years ago, actually a little bit more than 10 years ago, began as an avid reader of the magazine. I found the magazine at a local quilt show and picked up several copies and just couldn't put it down. And then I eventually moved on to being a contributor and became an editor of the magazine in 2011 when the founding editor, Pokey Bolton, moved on. One thing, though, that really sticks out in my memory, actually, of my first day on the job, Susan, is something about you because it was my first day. Our offices were in Sudbury, Massachusetts. And, you know, you're a little nervous on your first day of work and everything. And I walked in and like about an hour after I'd done all my HR paperwork that you have to do on your first day, they invited me to join an editorial meeting to talk about the cover of the current magazine that they were editing and sending to the printer. And I was in the room for the first time making editorial decisions with the editorial team. So um, our readers or our listeners can't necessarily see what I'm doing, but I'm holding up a picture of (laughs) issue number 55 of Quilting Arts. This is the February, March 2012 issue. And we were working on this in December of 2011 when I started. And the cover is actually one of my favorite Susan Brubaker Knapp quilts. (laughs) It's this beautiful, beautiful picture of it must be a blue jay's feather. Yep, it is. It's just gorgeous. So I feel like since my very first day of working at Quilting Arts, Susan, I've been working with you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's um that brings up back good memories for me because I made that quilt um, right after my mother died. And it was one of the things that pulled me out of my deep funk after her sudden and unexpected um, death. And it was it's so cool to get a something on the cover of quilting arts but i you know i got interested in art quilting i think mostly because of quilting arts magazine i also picked it up and was inspired by it and was like i want to do that because i had started out as a traditional quilter i still make traditional quilts but i have been focusing increasingly on my art quilts since about 2006 or 2007 and um as a way of introducing myself a little bit more i teach and speak I used to design quilt pa- traditional quilt patterns, and I've written a couple of books. I've done a whole bunch of quilting arts workshops, video workshops. Great videos, by the way, that never grow old. Thank you. Because the content is just so spot on. And you did one on finishing quilts, and that was probably your most recent one, maybe five years ago. But you did one on thread sketching, as I remember, mm-hmm. on quilting which was just really, really interesting. And there was a third one. Wasn't I did a whole cloth painting one. So I've whole done five. Painting. Yeah, five. I've done five. And then I did one um, on 
free motion quilting motifs too, with yes. a whole bunch of different motifs. But um, yeah, my my involvement with quilting arts moved from I think I got my first quilt in Quilting Arts Magazine in 2007 um, and have been working a lot with Quilting Arts. I write some for the magazine and I also host Quilting Arts Television, which is on a lot of public television stations and on um, Create. And um, that has been a fabulous collaboration. And I love getting to meet these artists that I admire and ask them all sorts of questions and see and touch their quilts. And I hope that um, when I am host that I'm asking all the same questions that our viewers have at home so that they can, you know, get, get the answers to their questions because there's just so much incredible work being done out there. And I want to introduce the viewers to all those amazing fiber artists. So I always feel, Susan, like you and I are on the same editorial team. And <laughs> what I've really enjoyed about having you as a host of Quilting Arts TV is that you look at the artwork and the artists a little bit differently than I do because you're, you know, I'm I'm really in the publishing side. I'm in always in promoting other people's side and you're still in that creative side. And I wish our listeners could see the quilt behind you. It's a quilt in progress, I have a feeling, a picture of a nest against a deep, gorgeous blue sky, and there are three robin's eggs in that nest. Or are they not robin's eggs? They are. In fact, I'll move a little bit and you can see the robin and, well, maybe he's on the other side. Here, he's too far down. <laughs> oh, I see his nose right down This there. is actually one of my early art quilts. I think it's 2008 or nine. Um, it's called Harbinger's Hope and it has a nest and it has a robin that you can't see on your screen right now, Vivica, but it's a very large piece. I don't usually work this large, but it's an, an older art quilt. You know why I thought it was in progress? I thought you just had not yet stitched down the little helicopter things from the oh. maple tree. I don't know what they're called, actually. I, I always call them helicopters because in New England, in the springtime, I think it's springtime, those things fall from the tree and they actually do a helicopter spiral down to the yep. ground. And it's basically the seed pod. And so it looks like you've got them now that I now that you tell me it's done, I can tell. They're loose. They're three-dimensional elements. Actually moving away from the quilt. That is beautiful. So you're gonna have to give me a picture of it and we're gonna put it on our show notes. <laughs> okay. And I'm actually gonna take a screenshot so our readers will see. I'll do that. Um when we're done here, but it's, it's, I've been doing some presentations. And so I wanted to have something as a backdrop. So I've got it set up in my office. You know, we've got to have something mm -hmm. beautiful behind us when we're doing all this zooming. Well, you can probably see the quilt behind me. This is the one that's been behind me for quite some time. It is my um, self-portrait quilt that I did with you um, patch, which is basically you, you upload an image and then they let you download a pattern of the same thing, but it's got a um, patch on the nose. Can you see the patch on the nose? Yeah. What's going on with that? I am doing the <laughs> least creative thing. I am making a quilt that is absolutely not an art quilt, but it's it's got the most history probably of of any quilt that I've made. And what it is, is taking um, signatures. So our pastor is leaving our church and um, I'm trying to get a signature of every member of our church to put together into a signature quilt. So I'm on a real tight schedule. I'm assuming he does not listen to the Quilting Arts podcast, so he's not going to know that he's getting this quilt <laughs> in two weeks. But that's, you know, I've got about 180 signatures right now, and uh, 
I'm going to need to spend a good long weekend putting them back together. That's wonderful. And people, I know quilters have been doing that for hundreds of years because there are old quilts like that with the signatures on them and they're so charming. We have several local museums and I've seen some from people in our town. So I just think, you know, this is a historical kind of a document, whether it feels like you're, I mean, I don't feel like I'm making an art quilt. I know that I'm not, but I'm making something that documents a space and documents a time and a place. And um, I know is important to people. And he, he or she is going to love it. I know. And it'll keep them warm, which I think is a, a wonderful thing because isn't isn't that where we all started, or many of us started anyway, was making those traditional quilts and keeping people warm. But you know, it is one of those things. So a signature quilt documents space and time and place. And in the same way, our artist in residence that we're going to be inviting in in a moment does the same kind of thing by using maps in her particular art quilting. So um, we are going to be inviting Valerie Goodwin to be our artist in resident, and she's going to be joining us in just a moment. Great. I can't wait. So let me introduce you to today's artist in residence, Valerie S. Goodwin. Valerie Goodwin is a mixed-media fiber artist and architect whose works of fine art are included in museum and private collections. Most of her work is inspired by a love of aerial views of landscapes and cities. Many of her quilts are based on maps. Valerie's art has moved through various stages, from traditional quilting to an interest in abstract expressionism. And currently, it is inspired by real and imaginary landscapes and cities. She received degrees in architecture from Washington University in St. Louis and Yale University in Connecticut. Her award-winning work has been widely published and exhibited. She also lectures and gives workshops nationally and internationally, and even has a new online class. For more than 26 years, she taught architecture and design at Florida A&M University. Vivek and I have followed Valerie's work over the years, and we've been really fascinated by her inspiring posts on social media that go beyond quilting and architecture, challenging the viewer to be moved and inspired by art outside of those genres. Welcome, Valerie. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, the first thing I think we should do is to ask you to uh, describe your work a little bit for our listeners because, you know, just how it looks because they're hearing you, but they're not seeing your work and they can always go to your website and check it out. But if you would describe what your work looks like and just a tiny bit about your process and your materials. Well, I think if you were to look at my work, uh, I think you would notice that I have a keen love of lines and shapes, in particular those that you find in maps. I am just intrigued by the patterns you can see, kind of the, the language of the lines and the shapes and how they interact with each other. Uh, I have moved from working uh, traditionally uh, through using mixed media techniques like, uh, like paint. And then more recently in about the past few years, I've been working with laser cutter technology in my work. And I have to say that the use of the technology has um, certainly transformed the way that I work. You know, what's interesting to me about that, Valerie, is that you're truly using a technology that's not usually used in the quilting genre. And I think it's really fascinating when I see people take technology and sort of 
mold it and meld it to work within the media that they want it to work within. Um, and that has been really, really fascinating as I'm seeing your work evolve and change over the years too. How do you think having access to that kind of technology has changed the way that you approach quilting? Well, it definitely has changed the way that I approach quilting. And I don't think, I think that if I were not a teacher uh, working at a university that has access to uh, these kinds of technology and being able to interact with my students who bring up really interesting topics that um, sometimes cause me to uh, make me frame my work based on what I'm hearing from what they're studying or from what I am trying to teach them. I think all these things come together to kind of mold the way I work, both the way I think and the way I approach using technology. It's funny how a student can sometimes teach the teacher or lead the teacher down a different path, isn't it? Definitely, yes. So are you, you're talking about this, are they 3D laser printers, cutters that you had access to at the university that you've started using? Can you describe that a little bit? Yes, they're not 3D at all. There's what's called a 3D printer that carves things in the X, Y, and Z axis. But the laser cutter is a two-dimensional tool. Uh, it cuts flat surfaces. It can cut uh, anything from sort of thick wood to metal um, to really lightweight things. I figured out how to cut something like uh, silk organza, Evalon, and so forth. And so it has a wide range of uh, possibilities, just cutting and also etching. It can, it can scrape off the uh, layers of the piece that you are um, working with. And so it can, can engrave um, lines, shapes, photographs even. And like, how long have you been using that kind of cutter? Is it a recent thing within the last few years? Uh, yes, I would say probably back in 2015, 2016, I became acquainted with um, the laser cutter by chance. And um, shortly thereafter, my university purchased some laser cutters. And also I had the opportunity to do a residency at Florida State University where I tested over 30 types of fabric just to figure out if it could cut, if I would be pleased with it, and then just to learn what all the various settings are to use with the laser cutter. Now, I'm sort of curious about what that laser cutter was actually meant to be used on. Was it like for, would it, um, you know, was it in the engineering department and it was meant for cutting balsa wood? Or what was the when, when some engineer decided to make this laser cutter, I'm sure this engineer, he or she, had no idea that it would be cutting silk organza. I really don't know what the original um, use for the laser cutter is. I just know that um, in architecture, it's used for making models. That's what I thought. Now, um, I, I am so lucky to live near Yale University, where you you obviously went. And I have been to that museum of architecture and seen like amazing models that are, are, um, you know, whether it's, it's talking about the Yale, um, Yale whale tail and, you know, Erosirinin and all of those things, they have beautiful models there, but I can't imagine that anyone who, um, made those models would think about maybe making a model or a, a map in a different way using fabric. So, 
kudos. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you very into, much. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. And that's sort of what we're talking about today. What, you know, Susan and I have been chatting back and forth about some things that we're seeing on social media and have just been amazed at your Instagram feed, Valerie, because it's full of things that, first of all, aren't quilty, but totally inspiring for artists of any type to be thinking about. So can you tell us what you've been doing? Tell our listeners what you've been doing on your feed? Well, I used to tell my students that inspiration comes from everywhere. And uh, there was a quote in the Bible. I'm not much of a Bible reader. And I, I am definitely paraphrasing, but one should have eyes that can see, you know, just really being able to see and soak in what's around you. Um, I found that um, that's the way that you open yourself up to possibilities. And really, I started the post um, through my experience with uh, Pinterest. And when I learned of Pinterest, I thought it was a good way to catalog things that I was just trying to save on my desktop, things I would see on the internet. Now I have this location to categorize uh, these things that inspire me. And then when Instagram came around, I looked at the titles and all the categories that I had created on Pinterest, and I thought, well, maybe it could just be something that I post weekly. I can take one of my boards and I can make it a theme, and then I can take that information from Pinterest or from you know wherever I've gotten it and use it to populate my um, Pinterest account. And I've gotten a lot of uh, positive feedback from doing that. Yeah, some of the pieces that you're posting are just crazy. I mean, just really <laughs> fascinating things that I can't even imagine someone coming up with, you know, the the inflatables one. Um, it, it just makes you, it makes me want to do something really outside my normal sphere. Well, I find it fun sometimes when I look on Pinterest, Pinterest and I see, you know, the various things that people are posting, people that I follow. I try to find that word or that phrase that kind of encapsulates what I see in that piece. And then if I find one and it, and it just kind of sparks my curiosity, I'll start a board. And then when you start finding things that might be, say, inflatable art, the more you pin, the more you put on your board, the more Pinterest starts to populate more of the things that they see that you're uh, posting there. So I found I found that to be a good way of collecting images that I think are fascinating. Well, how do you think that has affected your art? Like, if you, can you see a direct link between something you saw on Pinterest and that you've posted on Instagram that has changed a piece that you're working on or given you a new idea for a piece? Well, I certainly find some of the boards that I've set up uh, that are specifically rated related to maps to be inspirational. And I find it um, really fun to just collect all the different ways that people are using maps across di different disciplines. And I think that just kind of soaking in some of those things has really affected uh, the work that I do. So it's kind of like a marination. You it's like, like a marination. I yeah. can't say it's something that I do, say I'm going to do it this way. It just sort of evolves and just sort of happens uh, through osmosis and just very organically. So, um, you know, maps set us in a specific place and time. And when I think of maps, I think of 
all of these maps that we see, like a map of the world, shows the perspective of the map maker as mm-hmm. well as sort of invites the perspective of the viewer as well. Mm-hmm. And I have this um, this one memory of being a high school student and I was living in Australia and I was in a world history or maybe it was even an Australian history class. And I looked at the map of the world and it blew my mind because the map that I was seeing did not have the United States in the center of it. <laughs> we always see the map of the world here right. in the U.S. Right. with the U.S. in the middle of it. And there the the country of Australia was in the center of the map. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the maps that you create, you know, and it's the same thing, no matter what kind of map that you're looking at. When I was a kid, I would look at, you know, I'd go to Sunday school and you see the maps in the Bible. And I'm like, wait, where is that? Because I can't, I have no idea where it is because there's no perspective. But when I see your maps, I know that they're coming from your perspective, which is very interesting. And when I see your Instagram feed, I know it's coming from your perspective. And I just find it really, really fascinating, all of the things, all of these influences and seeing how they're reflected in the artwork that you're doing. And I'm just, I'm thrilled to see the many maps that you've worked on. Well, thank you. I think that maps are a reflection of the person or even just the entity that is, that are, that is making the map. So, you know, maps can be created for good. You know, they can be created you know, for all kinds of reasons. And they can be created to dilute information down, distill it down to what that map maker or that map maker's audience wants to see. Uh, and the map you're talking about is uh, kind of the perspective of the United States as being kind of the, the center of power, you know, the center of the globe. So I can understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's a real, it's a real political view too. You know, you think about how all the maps for voting are created. Right. And, you know, all from the perspective of whomever is trying to create that map there. But, you know, I also think of those Pinterest boards that you're making as sort of the map of your mind, in essence. It's because, you know, a lot of us have this distraction almost from social media, and I get it very easily. I'll see something on social media that just fascinates me, and I will go down that rabbit hole. And what mm-hmm. I love is that you have a time period that you put on your um, you're sharing. For instance, I, I'm just scrolling through on another screen here and I'm looking at the eggs that you've posted mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm also, I'm into maps and I'm into birds. And so eggs are a natural <laughs> progression there. And I know that both Susan and I have done, have done the Pisanki egg dyeing at one point in our lives. And just to see how eggs pulled into you, what, what is it that just um, made you think about the egg? Well, I think I was just being clever that week because it was Easter. (laughs) I said, let me see if I can make something out of the egg and let me dig in and just see uh, how our eggs use um, artistically. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, I was able to find at least seven that I felt were worthy of being posted. Well, I also love that you have a start point and an end point on it. And then after eggs, you probably moved on to cardboard or whatever. But, um, you know, that that you you don't go so far into it that you forget that you've got an audience that really is waiting for the next inspiration. So it's almost like, you know, um, I have a couple of artists that I follow who, who share quotes and I'm like, oh, I always wait every week to hear that new quote and it's about something <laughs> different. I wanted to ask what your thought process is as you start a new piece. What inspires? 
you know, what inspiration do you have and where do you start? Well, I think I have two tracks, two ways of working. Sometimes I work um, basically by instinct. I work improvisationally. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just playing with the materials that I have at hand. And then there are other times where I want to tell a specific story. And so, you know, those are usually not, um, they're more straightforward. They're there to provide information in an artistic way. And the others are just there just for me to be free and expressive and just explore what I can do with those lines and shapes that come from maps. It seems to me in looking at a lot of your work that you might have been interested in a career in urban planning rather than architecture. Because you'd think if you're an architect that you would do quilts of buildings, right? But you're not. Why? I've wondered that myself. I will have to say that there was a time where, where I did try to do that, and I wasn't that interested in it. And I was in an airplane once, and I was looking out the window and I saw crop circles in a field. And so that's kind of how I started being interested in things from above. But no, I don't know why, you know, I never considered studying urban planning, but I do love the idea of looking at things from above and sort of hovering and getting the big perspective. Well, there's also that topographical part of this, I guess, where, you know, if you see a topographical map and you see the elevations on that map, um, sometimes your quilting can give you that look, especially if you do a lot of echo quilting and and move around that way. But, um, you know, the fact that you're looking so far away and from above and you're your subject, we all know that it's it's sort of like at a very strange scale. So um, if you're that far away, a river looks a certain way. And if you get too mm-hmm. close, then you have to be realistic. And, you know, right. it's we don't always want to be realistic. If we wanted to be realistic all the time, that would be one thing. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of interesting to think how the big picture looks at times, not just right. that close-up view. I think the map maker sometimes, well, very often you create symbols to represent things. And so I I like to think that I'm doing that too in my work. All right, let's just take a quick break and we'll be right back. So has your job teaching architecture design influenced what you do in the studio and how? Oh, definitely. Well, first of all, I wouldn't be quilting if it were not for architecture. And that might sound kind of strange and unusual, but I discovered quilting by reading an article in uh, a magazine called the Journal of Architectural Education. And in it, a female professor of architecture had her students study traditional quilt blocks that became diagrams, that became spaces, that eventually became a quilt museum. And that is what actually got me going in my my interest in quilting. So did you start by making traditional quilts or did you jump right into art quilts? Oh no, I started by making traditional quilts. And also I started after reading that article, I was teaching beginning design at the time. And I started using some of the ideas that you find in quilting. You know, quilting is about pattern making. There's a certain order, their form, you have to deal with color and value. 
and all those things. And so I created exercises where my students were making, now this is air quote, quilts. And after doing that for a while, my husband said, well, you know, you don't know how to quilt, do you? And I said, you're right. And so that summer, I took a six-week course at a community college, and I made a sampler quilt all by hand. And that was back in, well, I think it was back in 1998. And I immediately knew I wanted to express myself architecturally at that point. And actually, that's when I experimented a little while trying to do something like buildings using block settings and so on. And I found it to be restrictive. And so eventually I learned about fabric collage and that's when I was able to be much more expressive and I gradually started adding uh, other kinds of media. And then now most recently the uh, laser cutter technology has, has crept in. And now you're sharing that too with your students, with your quilting students about creating those kind of spaces, again, thinking about it as a quilt. So can you tell us what you're doing in your, um, in your online classes, Valerie? Yes, in my online classes, there's just been one so far. It's called Mapping Personal Spaces. And in that class, I teach students how to kind of break down what I do in terms of making my quilted maps into what I call the first layer, which is the earth surface. And then I teach them a way of using fabric, paint, thread, and shears to create an interesting, yet um, kind of a neutral backdrop for the math elements that students will add to the, the quilt top to create that map of a personal place. So students will learn a variety of different things in that class, and they will come out having made a small piece that's related to some space place that they think is personally uh, special. Must be really satisfying to see uh, to see a student come from someone who's you know either just hesitant to start. I hate to say scared because it's quilting. You shouldn't be ever be scared mm-hmm. of anything with quilting, but hesitant to start, not know where to start, and then come up with you know just something that really represents that space that they wanted to share with the world. Right. Well, you know, from teaching over the years, you you know you have to kind of come at it from a structured standpoint. But then you have to let students kind of maneuver their way through that structure and find their own way to making either, you know, architectural design or, you know, their own map quilts. Does it ever seem a little strange to to see one of the quilts that might have that might you might have um, mentored someone through creating like in a show? Have you seen that yet? Has it happened? A couple of times. I wouldn't say strange. It makes me smile. It makes me happy to see that I had a part of that. Well, I didn't mean strange either. I just think um, I don't teach. And so uh, sometimes I I think, wow, you know, I just can't imagine knowing that, you know, I had been helpful to someone like that and and knowing that that it meant something enough to them to complete the project and to, you know, take it a little bit further on their own. I always think that's always very satisfying for a teacher. Yes, you're absolutely right. But you've been teaching in person for a long time. When did you just start doing the online or virtual workshops? Has it just been within the past year? Yes, it's just been within the past year. What kind of challenges have there been or what upsides and downsides do you see to virtual classes? Because that's all the thing right now. I mean, with COVID and all the guilds want virtual workshops, I'm just kind of curious as to what your experience has been. Or maybe you're not far enough into it yet. 
Oh, I've done it several times so far. I mean, uh-huh. I've I've uh, mastered the use of Zoom and, and other um, apps that allow me to sort of um, pretend like I'm there with them. I, I, there's an app I use where they the whole class has a design board. But really, at first, I thought that the screen was like a veil. It's like a layer between me and the student. So you have to kind of figure out ways to get beyond that. And uh, it's really great that now, because of the lockdown, we have all come to accept the idea of being able to meet and learn via the, the Internet. I, I think that's, that's really amazing. I wanted to ask you, you know, before we get too far in, and I have to say goodbye, um, you've been working, I put pieces on Instagram. It looks like a series of collaged people that are all chained together. Is this a new piece? And can you talk about it? Uh, yes, this is a commission that I'm working on. It's due at the end of July. And it's for a museum in Florence. And it's a small museum. It's a museum that relates to cotton. Hmm. And so this is going to be a narrative piece that kind of tells the story of um, the Indian Indian Trail of Tears and how it overlaps, something that I don't think many of us know about. There was actually a slave Trail of Tears. And so when the cotton gin was invented, the southern plantation owners, you know, looked at it and saw it was a way of making money. So they wanted the land that the Indians owned, and so they marched the Indians westward. But at the same time, they marched the slaves who were in the Upper South to the Deep South hmm. uh, in a, what they, what's called a coffle. They marched them many, uh, at least a million or so southward so that they could work the land on the plantation. And so that's what you were seeing uh, in my feed. So how did you do those um the figures? What was the process? I drew them in my notebook and then I scanned them and then I blew them up to size and then I printed them out using my inkjet printer onto fabric. Then I put um, a batting behind it and I collaged on the clothing and then I did some free motion stitching on top. Well, they're really lovely. They're so intricate and beautiful and different from some of the other work you've done at least the work that I've seen of yours. Yeah, I was struggling a little bit with it because I didn't want it to be, quote unquote, pretty. Right. You know, because it is um, a very serious subject. But I wanted it to at least capture the essence of feeling of what I, you know, I know that they were going through being part of that. So so what I see in those images is expressiveness. They're, the bodies are expressing pain and mm-hmm. tiredness. Right. And, you know, you're, you're certainly setting them in a place and a time. Um, we're not seeing them set on the actual piece. They'll be, I assume they'll be sewn down or, or mm-hmm. either stitched or glued down. But, um, you know, that, that space and time is also part of that whole thought of a map, you know, and the people also are part of a, a space and time. And I think a lot of times as artists, our followers don't always think that we can do something that is more realistic if we work in an abstract way or improvisational mm-hmm. way. And I, I, mm-hmm. I often find it interesting that so many people have have talents beyond what we know, 
I mean, obviously you're a talented map maker, you're a talented architect. Um, I'm looking at the image of Susan and I, I have a nice little screenshot that I took of all, all of us um, to put on our show notes page, but we know that, I know that Susan works so much in more realistic ways, but um, I, I find it just wonderful that all of us seem to have, you know, this whole different kind of skill in our toolbox. We can do so many different things. It's wonderful to see all those different things that you're doing too, Valerie. Thank you very much, Vivica. Yeah, sometimes you get stretched in directions you didn't imagine, either because of a commission or because you just get interested in something different and it takes you down a different place to try new things. Right. I think I I summon the bravery to try new things and (laughs) realizing I might fail, but for some reason I have a passion just to try new things anyway. And you know, that I think is the important word here. It's not fear in quilting, it's bravery. Bravery to move beyond um, or into a different direction. Bravery to explore something like hearts and lungs with crochet, which I also see on your on your Instagram feed. But it doesn't mean it, you know, I just think that it's it's a great thing that we have so many different interests. And and I also see it, you know, with the books that influence us and the reading that influences us and all the artists and the newsletters that we get from other people. It's its a really interesting thing that we don't just have quilting because quilting is fabulous and art quilting is even more inclusive, but we have all of these other genres that can definitely influence what we do and, and really broaden our minds. Well, I have this, this idea that at some point I am going to put quilting down for a little while and just try other media because I've always just wanted to see what I could do with it, like encaustic or just sketching or watercolor. I just want to give myself permission not to just even just stick with one media, just for a little while, just to see, just to try something different, explore another part of my brain. Well, you know, it could be sort of like a little vacation because Mm -hmm. we all need that that break so we can come back and be even more creative in our Mm -hmm. main thing that we do. And, you know, I know that Susan every once in a while will pick up her knitting and make a dishcloth just to get away from the quilting. <laughs> and I'll do the same thing. I mean, I'll, mm-hmm. I went, I went on a deep dive into trying to learn how to do calligraphy, which by the way, is really hard. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but you know, I have all the pens now, but I'm, I, I have to say it, they haven't been used in a while, but it's, <laughs> it's just really cool to, to take a break and then come back to that first love. So you may be seeing that in my Instagram timeline at some point. Just a warning. Oh, Looking I'd love that. Yeah. <laughs> are you still um, teaching or are you moving into a new stage? You're retired. I retired back in August. I retired a bit early. I just found it difficult to be foisted into teaching online, given a few few days notice. And at the time, it was not known how school was going to be conducted. And I just decided that since I could, I would just go ahead and call it a day. But I have to say, I really miss it. I miss that interaction. But at the same time, if you've been wanting to try new things and go in different directions, it it opens up the time and the opportunities for you to do that. Yes, of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Valerie. I'm so glad we had a chance to talk about all of these different things. And I can't wait to see some encaustic come out of your studio. (laughs) I have a feeling it's going to be really interesting. Well, thanks for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for talking to us. Okay, you take care. 
I'm really fascinated with all of Valerie's map art quilts. And it really made me think a little bit about my mom, who we nicknamed the Map Queen. Uh, I remember when we'd go on family vacations when I was a kid, and she would map out the entire two-week vacation to state, you know, to national parks out west with a highlighter. And she had maps of every state, and she had things all organized. And um, so we ended up calling her the Map Queen, and we did it kind of mockingly, kind of a mean way. But as I got older, I realized that you know she. She grew up where she didn't get to travel very much. She was not very well off. And I think maps for her were like magic of the the unknown world and all the possibilities that were out there. And she did get to widely travel a lot later in her life. But she loved maps because they showed her where she could go. Right. They show those possibilities. Yeah, yeah. And I think Valerie's work... Two, it's not just about the visuals of what things look like from the airplane looking down. It's about what could be and what is and why. Um, So it makes you think beyond just the visual to what's behind the art that she makes. You know, a lot of Valerie's um, maps really aren't, I don't know, they're not realistic, of course, but it's more about the subject and the history behind the subject, too. You know, a lot of her work is just so poignant and revealing. And I think that's that's what really um, inspires me about it. And, you know, thinking about your mom, and I think our moms were probably pretty similar age since you and I are exactly the same age. I think about my mother and father who have been gone now for quite some time. What would they think of a GPS, of not having to use mm. that paper map, of having... Um, you know, less of that physical representation of the reality around them. Because, you know, usually when you're thinking about that AAA map, you're thinking about something that is really quite realistic and quite detailed and everything. And just just the absolute amazing technology that has allowed us to look at the world digitally in many ways. And not even just to look at it, but to like almost go there. Like if you get on Google Maps, my daughter, my older daughter, Lee, loves to visit places on Google Maps where she can zoom in, you can see a lot about what a culture finds mm-hmm. important or how old it is or how it organized itself um, by zooming in like that. And it's it's truly fascinating. It really is something to think about. Well, maps were a big part of this podcast. And, you know, thinking about where we are artistically in our space and time were a big part of this podcast. But I'm also thinking, Susan, you probably have a quote for us. Yes. Yes, of course. It's a short one this time um, by Peter Steinhardt, who said, maps are a way of organizing wonder. Don't you love that? I do love that. And I also think about Valerie's social feed, her social feed, whether it's Pinterest or Instagram or whatever, those are her ways of organizing wonder. And I'm so glad that people can categorize and think about things and, and really sift them down that way for everybody to enjoy and for everybody to look at. Absolutely. It's been great talking to you, Susan. Yeah, you too. Thank you for listening to the Quilting Arts Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. This podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Our show notes with images, links, and descriptions and more are available on quiltingdaily.com. 
Today's podcast is produced by Chad Franzen, and our web producer is Sarah Erickson. 